Good evening, everyone. And guys, like Josh said, it's our ninth anniversary gathering together as a community. And that is so cool. I've been a part of the Mosaic Store for about, I think, seven of the nine years. And thinking of the people, the individuals, the families that have come through this community Lives changed. People that have been drawn near to Jesus and been discipled in wonderful ways. I think of people who have been sent out on mission both around the country and around the world. I think of the impact into spaces like adoption and foster care. I think of all these different spaces that that this community has the opportunity to be a part of. And uh, it's so cool to think about all that's happened in the last nine years and so many things that probably none of us are even aware of that has happened. And we won't discover the fullness of until we enter into the other side of eternity. And we get to see how each of us have had the opportunity to be a part of one another's story and the stories of those who we may have only met one time in this space or in a space like this. Um, And just to think about that impact So tonight, we have the opportunity to look back at the last nine years, but also to dream into the future. But with that in mind, it's it's fitting that where we're at in the book of Colossians, because where we're at tonight in the book of Colossians is such a strong reminder of the beauty and simplicity of the gospel. It's what my heart has needed this week. And hopefully it's what, uh, what the Lord would use to speak mightily to your heart tonight. So we journey, continue our journey through the book of Colossians this evening. Um, but before we, get into the, before we get into the scriptures, I have a question for you. This is a question I really want you to ponder. Do you believe that the gospel of Jesus is good news? Whether you know Jesus and you follow after him or um, you would not call yourself a Christian or anything like that. Either way, do you believe that the gospel is actually good news? Because I I have to confess to you guys, so often I think of it as decent news. So often I am not captivated by the radical beauty of the gospel. And if you're anything like me, you might, have, you might be able to think back to some mountaintop experience um, where it just felt like everything was so intimate between you and the Lord and that you were drawing near to Jesus through the power of the Spirit in every way. Um, for many of us, it was probably a moment when we first came to know Jesus, like when, about over a decade ago when I um, first committed my life to Jesus and made him my Lord and Savior. Um, I was at this Christian conference and, uh, and I was actually working at it, but then instead I ended up becoming a Christian there. It was crazy, but uh, God was all of a sudden changed everything for me. It was like I saw differently. I loved, I loved differently. Everything was so fresh. Everything was so new. And what came out of that is I think about the, uh, the, the depth of relationship with Jesus. It led me to a place where I couldn't get enough of him. I couldn't learn enough about him and about what it meant to follow after him. And out of this deep and abiding gratitude, my heart kept getting so excited that I was like leaking Jesus everywhere, that in every conversation, he just came up. I remember a specific time, a couple months after first coming to know Jesus, I was working at Subway um, and, uh, and I was in the back prepping veggies with my assistant manager. And as I'm there with my assistant manager, we're like 
um, we're like chopping away at veggies. I don't remember what kind of veggies. Let's go ahead and say carrots, okay? Um, so I'm prepping carrots. Do you even have carrots at Subway? No clue. It's been a, it's been a decade. So, um, but we're prepping we're prepping these veggies in the back at Subway. And as we're talking, I'm just starting to tell her about what God was doing in my life and how Jesus was having such an impact on my soul and. It was changing everything. And then, and then I started to share with her the gospel. And all of a sudden, at a certain point, it was like she was prepping onions. She just started crying and she said, hey, can you cover? I got to go. So she went into the back and she just started crying out to God for like an hour in the bathroom of Subway and just, and just repenting and all this beautiful stuff, right? And I just kept prepping the veggies. And, uh, and, 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 I, and I remember in that moment, I was like, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is the way it's supposed to be. But what I learned is this is what happens when we are captivated by the profound beauty of the gospel. So here's my question for you. Has the gospel been beautiful to you recently? Has been gratitude inducing to you recently? Is it actually good news to you over this last season of life? See, for many of us, the gospel was incredible good news But then this expectation gap occurred at some point where we had this expectation that we would be further along maybe, that we'd be better by now, that maybe the gospel is like an overpromise in some ways. And what happens is we, we change radically, but not quickly. And we slowly walk back to normal life, a place where we rely on our own selves again, a place where we believe that we cannot actually be radically transformed anymore, a place where intimacy with God either seems like it's a distant memory or the experience of that one friend that you have who's like super spiritual, a place where it's difficult to imagine that the gospel could make a meaningful impact in our world, that you could be used in powerful ways at Walt Disney World and around the world. So here's a question we're exploring tonight. Can the gospel really be enough? Can the gospel really be enough? Can it really be enough for the moments of delight and the moments of difficulty? Or is the gospel truncated, smaller than we anticipated? And this is where we're going tonight in the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter one. If you happen to have one of these black scripture journals of Colossians, um, go ahead and take it out. They're not numbered, but it is very early on in Colossians chapter one. Um, If you do not have one of these um, and you are here in person, we actually have some in the lobby. Feel free to pick one up and we have some pins for you as well. Um, And it's kind of just a gift for you. If you are online and you would like one of these, you could either order one on Amazon or you could just let us know, um, just send us a message in the chat and we can uh, have you come and pick one up maybe next week. So Let's continue on in Colossians chapter one. We're gonna be going in, starting in verse 13 and 14 tonight. Now, Colossians chapter one, where have we been so far? This is essentially a note of encouragement to start that is being passed by the apostle Paul to this church in a place called Colossae. Now, Colossae, Paul had never visited himself, yet he is speaking to them with such familiarity and so such prayer and devotion toward them because of a mutual contact that they have. 
So he is passing on all these notes of encouragement, but where we were at a couple weeks ago was where he is talking about all the different ways that he is praying for them and specifically praying that they would be drawn near to Jesus and be transformed more into his image, that they would be able to be like Jesus and that they would be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding, that they would be like Jesus, that they would be filled with spiritual strength to endure even the most difficult realities of life. And that they would be filled with such gratitude for the beautiful inheritance that they have received in the gospel. But what exactly is this inheritance? This is what Paul's getting into tonight. And could this inheritance possibly burst through the expectation gap that I have and you might have as well as me? So this takes us into verses 13 and 14. I'll start from verse 12 uh, just to see the context. So this is where we ended last time. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So he's continuing on. What is that inheritance? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, in verses 13 and 14, what he is essentially done in, these, in this short passage is he is unpacking the beautiful realities of the fact that there is an already component of the gospel. There is a thing that has already happened, that they have already positionally become more like Jesus, and that it's not just some far off desire that maybe one day, one day when we die, we'll be in heaven and everything will be peachy. It is in the here and in the now that we can experience the beauty and the radicalness of the kingdom now on through eternity. So he's unpacking this reality that they are truly safe with God now, that they are truly known by God now, that they're truly cared by, for by God now. So let's reread verse 13 really quick. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So followers of Jesus now share in the beautiful inheritance that is that which is for the same for those who are the saints in light. This inheritance, though, is more significant than we could possibly imagine. Now, the church in Colossae was predominantly made up of individuals who were ethnically Jewish people. But then because of their desire to see the Messiah come, they have discovered that the Messiah, this anointed one, is Jesus. So they have committed themselves to following after the way of Jesus. So at this point in the history of this church, it is predominantly made of individuals who are ethnically Jewish. And when this language of deliverance and transference is being used, this would have been a mental hyperlink for them to a specific moment in the story of the nation of Israel, Exodus. See, in the story of Exodus, what we discover is that the people of Israel were trapped. They were enslaved. They were oppressed as a people group to the people of Egypt. They were captives living in oppression in the domain of Egypt until God enacted Deliverance. He did a delivery and overnight they were allowed to march out of Egypt. And here's why that was so good, such good news in that story because right after Pharaoh's, his heart hardens and he changes his mind and he wants to go and take them and bring them back into oppression, back into slavery. But the thing is, 
who God has set free is free indeed. And they discovered that they were already free. So it didn't matter that Pharaoh was sending his army because God was going to provide a way and make a way by parting the Red Sea so that the people of Israel could walk across and it would close on the army of Pharaoh so that they could not be brought back into slavery. God had already declared them set free. So it was done. And this is the imagery that would have happened for anybody in the church that would receive this from a Jewish context. See, this delivery from the dark domain of Egypt, it was incredible. It's one of the most pivotal moments in the story of the scriptures. But even that moment was simply a signpost pointing to a greater delivery from the true domain of darkness. Now, Jesus, he, he liked to tell stories and he told stories to his followers about what life in the kingdom of God would actually look like. You may have heard the story of the prodigal son. It's often called, it's the story that he, would, that he told his followers about this son who desired his inheritance. And in that context, to desire your inheritance, to ask your father for your inheritance would essentially be to say, you might as well be dead, dad. I am taking it and I am running with it. So the son gets his inheritance, breaks his father's heart and goes off to live a life of pursuit of whatever pleasures would make him, would tickle his fancy. Like he was ready for it. He wanted whatever it was. And he goes and he splurges and he spends all of it. And he ends up destitute, broken and in despair realizing that even the servants in his father's house have a much, much better life than the one he has. Um, There is a movie called The Heart of Man, and it does a brilliant job giving an artistic vision to the story. I saw it a few years ago. Um, If you you haven't seen it, you should probably check it out. It's like half documentary and then half visual depiction of the beauty of this story unfolding. It's so, so well done. Um, but in this story, they make a few tweaks to, to it from an artistic expression. And in this story, the father and the son are standing up on a cliff over this beautiful ocean. And as they're standing there, looking over, they're playing music together. But, and they're staring into one another's eyes. But then something happens. The son looks off in the distance, out over the ocean, over to an island in the distance. And when he sees the island, he gets these visions in his mind of what's happening on that faraway island the pleasure, the desire, the sensuality, and he wants it all. So he drops his instrument, takes a step over the cliff and jumps into the water. And he swims away to the island. He gets to the island and he starts discovering the pleasures, but he soon discovers that all of it is folly. And actually all that pleasure is just leaving him in bondage. And the enemy ends up enslaving him, putting him in chains, beating him up and throwing him into a cave, a dark, destitute cave. He is curled up in the fetal position on the ground, unable to leave. But the father, the father, he goes to the island. And when the father gets to the island, it's like a jungle and he, he's out there with a the machete and he is chopping through the forest. He is chopping through the forest to get to the cave. And the cave is completely now encased. Like there's not even a way for the son to possibly get out on his own. But the father with one punch is able to break through the cave 
And the enemy comes after him. And with one strike, the enemy is furled is furled all the way over to the other side of the cave. And in one moment, the father gets down on his knees, breaks the chains and picks his son up and takes him home. Our deliverance is a prime reality of what we inherit in Jesus. That we have in a moment been delivered from the domain of darkness. The Greek word that is used for delivered here is the word irisado. And uh, it literally means down to its root um, to flow like the current of water. Okay, so think about a river that is flowing. There's two things about water that is flowing on a river. One, um, it's fast, right? There's a current. Um, And then two, it's constant. It's consistent and it's coming, okay? Now, here in, um, I was trying to think of a more like applicable way to put that into context in our day and age. And I was thinking about Amazon Prime delivery, okay? So here in Central Florida, we do have this incredible reality we live in, which is that we have the opportunity to have same day Prime delivery. Granted, um, not with all items, and you do have to have purchase order of at least $35. But just think about that, like we press order on things and then like, and like, Within a couple hours, it's at our door. That's pretty crazy. I don't even know where this stuff came from, right? But it's there. Now, imagine for a second if I were to give you a gift through Prime. And when the Prime truck pulls up to your house, they place the package on your front door. You go outside and you get the package. The delivery has been made. It's consistent. It's fast. It's coming, right? And it doesn't matter. And I would imagine most of you are not afraid that a ninja is going to pop out and attack the delivery driver and take your present, right? Because we know that the delivery driver is probably a master jujitsu or something and is going to protect, I'm just kidding. Um, But like, you know that this delivery, it's coming and it's safe and it's secure. And the delivery is not contingent on us at all. See, if you are in Jesus... If you are in Jesus, listen carefully. Listen carefully. You need this reminder. I need this reminder. You have already been delivered from the domain of darkness. You've already been delivered from the domain of darkness. This is not Danny coming up with theology. I am literally reading what the verse said, right? What did it say? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. How dark does your life feel? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. It doesn't discount our present reality. It doesn't discount the brokenness of this world. What it does mean is there is an already component to the gospel. There's an already component to the gospel. We live in a culture that desires instant gratification. Perfect. When we are received deliverance, he has delivered us then. Now, here's the crazy part. The cave of death, darkness, and bondage has been broken into and the Father has delivered us. And the delivery is not contingent on how good or how bad you are. It's not not contingent on your worst or your best. The delivery, it's not like the prime driver is gonna come back to your house and say, hey, I just found out you're super unworthy for this gift. I'm gonna go ahead and take that back now. Thank you very much. It's not like that at all. The delivery is not contingent on you. If it was, if it was contingent on me, it'd be taken away all the time, but it's not. I would have never gotten the delivery in the first place. 
But it's not only that. If it was just delivery from the brokenness, that is mercy and that is beyond belief. But now we have not only been delivered like Israel, like the sun from the domain of darkness, but we have been transferred to another location. But we've been transferred to this other place altogether. Where is that? And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. (laughs) Do you just hear that and think, yep, and when are you going to get practical with this? I was thinking in practical terms about even what this transfer would look like. If you were to put transfer into job terms, um, I was thinking in Disney context, that this is how I would typically think of this if I wasn't taking time to really sit in the beauty of this passage and the beauty of the gospel. I would think of it kind of like um, a park-to-park transfer in the same role. Like maybe you worked at Animal Kingdom and you were being transferred to Epcot, but it was a very similar role. Like there'd be some excitement, maybe um, a little bit of fear, maybe. But like on the whole, it's not an altogether different position, right? But this is nothing like our transfer. We didn't get a transfer from one neutral location to another or from one decent location to another or from one place that was kind of bad to one place that is kind of good. This is the transfer from prison to palace, from planet death to the garden of life, from a cruel captor who wants to kill, steal, and destroy to the resurrected Jesus who has declared victory over death. And do you see this? Do you see who has ownership over this kingdom? It's not like a neutral third-party kingdom, right? It is the kingdom of the beloved son. Jesus is the beloved son. To be beloved is to be uniquely loved. And here's why that's not just great news when when we gaze upon Jesus. It's great news for us who follow after him. Because if you follow him, you are identified with him. If you have surrendered your life to him, you are identified with him. You are united with him. We're a part of his crew. And when the father looks upon you, he doesn't see your worst or your best. What he sees is Jesus. We are beloved, not because we're cool, not because we're terrible, but because Jesus is altogether beloved. So we have been transferred from the, the, king, the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son. And if you are in Jesus, don't miss this. You have already been brought back home. You've already been brought back home. I have one more transfer analogy. Imagine that you were working like third shift custodial, which by the way, like that's awesome. It's a really difficult role um, unless you really love late nights, right? Um, So imagine though, you work third shift custodial for a while and then you get called into your manager's office and you walk in and when you're in conversation with them, they let you know that you've actually received a transfer, but not just any transfer, a promotion, a promotion to Imagineering to oversee the entire project layout for a brand new fifth park at Walt Disney World, all about Marvel. I'm going to pretend that that's awesome for you because that'd be awesome for me, right? Okay, so imagine you got that, but you're like, but that's like so difficult. Like I could imagine the hours. No, they promise you it's eight to five Monday through Friday. You're like, what? No nights? What would I do with my life? I don't know. Um, and then not only that though, but the pay scale they put you on, they like give you the salary, they, put, they push the contract over to you. You're like, 
huh? And like the benefits are like, whoa, this is going to be awesome. And then you get to create, be able to creatively oversee this entire project. This is going to be so cool. I, guys, that's an incredible transfer, right? But imagine for like a week, you show up to the office of Imagineering. But then after, at about Thursday, you clock out of there. And then at around 11 o'clock at night, you make your way back to third shift custodial and you keep clocking back in until you stop showing up to Imagineering at all. And now you're just clocking back in. That wouldn't make any sense, right? It'd be silly. And there's two, there's two, at least two things I thought about why that would be silly. One, it's no longer your home location, right? What are you doing staying up that late when you, like, that's not your home location anymore. You were transferred. But not only were you transferred, but why would you want to go back there? Don't, do we not see how sweet of a deal this transfer has enacted on our behalf? But yet this is the story of humanity. This is the story of the people of Israel. It's what they did in the Exodus. They complained to Moses shortly after they had been delivered. And they're like, Moses, we'd rather go back into slavery than live and die out here in the wilderness because they did not trust God's provision. They didn't trust that he was going to take care of his people. And I do too. Do you? Is that ever you? Do we ever feel as if the delivery was an overpromise. Do you ever feel like the gospel was an overpromise to you? Now, there are false gospels, like, for example, the, the prosperity gospel, um, that is truly an overpromise. It's a false narrative. The false narrative that, um, that if you just have enough faith or follow the way of Jesus strict enough, then you are guaranteed healing, wealth, or whatever your definition of success is. And that is completely, entirely a false gospel narrative. But there are a lot of other narratives that we believe that are also false, but they're so much less subtle, so much more subtle. And they can make it all feel as if it's an overpromise. But do you ever feel like the gospel is an overpromise to you? Like you were promised that you would, like you think, and you're like, I thought I'd be better by now. I think about in my own life, man, I, I thought I'd be more patient by now. I thought I'd be more loving by now. I thought I would be less insecure by now. Why? So I don't come with simple answers, but here's what I do know to be true. That between how I personally feel and what I feel to be true, Versus what God says to be true in the scriptures, only one of us has proven to be trustworthy, and it's not me. See, it's in his scriptures that declares my deliverance. It displays my transfer. It proclaims my adoption into the forever family of God. And those are the truths that I need to anchor my soul to, even when I don't feel like it. Even when the gospel does not feel like good news. I have to anchor my soul to that knowing that when I draw near to Jesus, something will happen, even if I don't feel it immediately. 
This is when we have to anchor ourselves to the truth that if we are in Jesus, then you have already been brought back home. And not only that, verses, verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. See, we have been redeemed. We have received forgiveness for our sins. You have been purchased by the blood of Jesus on the cross. No matter what you've done in the past, the present, or the future, you have been redeemed. God isn't looking at you, breaking into the cave to rescue you, to take you out of the cave, just to go into a lecture on all the things you've been doing wrong. What does Jesus say happens when the son's brought home? He says, kill the, kill the best cow. We're having a party tonight. He isn't preparing a lecture. He's preparing a feast. Do we see that this is actually good news? This already happened type of language. It's important to Paul in this letter. And it's important to him because he is counteracting a culture within his local church that has been polluted by this, this terrible heresy with the idea that Jesus is not enough. And we need that same truth to realize that no matter what we hear from within our own self-doubts, no matter what we hear within our culture, no matter what we hear in the voices in the past that, that hang out in our minds, we have already been delivered, transferred, redeemed in recipients of forgiveness. And if you are in Jesus, you have already been brought back home. So that's the already of the gospel. Now, we talk about this a lot, but there is also a not yet component. There's a not yet component of the gospel. And a big part of our expectation gap is that we expect everything to look perfect at this point. But what we need to realize is that, yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense that we haven't fully arrived yet because we can struggle thinking that we would never struggle again with mental health issues, that we would have banished the self-critic to the domain of darkness, that we would have left our broken actions, desires, and motivations in that prison cell when we were rescued. But you see, the good news isn't just that everything was going to be, be made perfect in a snap. The good news is that all of the broken things of this world are being unbroken in Jesus. The gospel is on the move. The spirit of God is moving. And if you are in Jesus, you have the spirit of God living in you. And he is the counselor. He is the guide. He is the comforter. He is the one who will convict you and encourage you and be that warm hug from inside of you. As you take that and bring that into the community of God in front of the scriptures of God. And when we do that, slowly but surely, we become more of what we were meant to be all along. So it's true. It's not all made perfect just yet. But the unbroken, but the broken is becoming unbroken because Jesus is present. Now, this became very real for me over the last week. Um, on Wednesday, my grandma um, passed away after an 11-year battle with cancer. Now, here's the thing about my grandma. She was, she's tough. <laughs> she beat up cancer for 11 years. Cancer didn't stand a chance until the final round, right? Um, now, over the last decade, though, I saw my grandma face each diagnosis, each prognosis, each treatment plan but not with this hope that she would beat cancer. That wasn't her goal, even though she wanted to be alive to see her 
grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and probably her great-great-grandchildren, right? But she had already given the rights to her life away to Jesus long ago. So she was able to enter in every, every round with a, a smile and endurance, but not because she was so awesome, but because she knew who she belonged to. So it didn't matter what happened in the here and now. What mattered is who had her. That when she was young, she was delivered from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the beloved son. That she had been set free from sin far long, long ago. But yet still, I can tell you my grandma was not perfect. She would want me to tell you that she was not perfect. She still needed Jesus all the time. Sometimes she would speak before she would think about what was coming out of her mouth. Sometimes um, she would, uh, sometimes um, she would get angry and it would get the better of her. But here's what I do know. As I've been praying and thinking about the story of my grandma this week. On Wednesday night her already and her not yet merged. (laughs) My grandma was so loving. And I have no clue how much more loving she is right now. Couldn't even imagine. Because she has come into fullness. And one day, all of us who follow after Jesus will come into fullness. Our already and our all and our not yet will merge. But until then, we hold true to our already and we look forward to the not yet. We live in this radical tension and it's good and it's healthy. And what it does is it makes us humble in the belief that we are not perfect. We do not have it all together, but we have a savior who does. And that is good, good news. See, her deliverance, her transfer, her redemption, her sin forgiveness has already come to fruition. And that's, that's where the tension we live in now. So as we close tonight, for all of us who follow after, Jesus, uh, follow after Jesus, I simply want to echo Paul's desire for this church, for our church, for the church around the globe, that we would be filled with gratitude for this incredible inheritance that we have received in Jesus. That our hearts would be reignited with the belief that Jesus really is enough. That we would believe that it is his kingdom that we have been transferred into. That we would believe it is in him that we have redemption. That we would believe that in Jesus, he is supreme and he is enough. And if we are in him, we have already been brought back home. And then out of that, our response would simply be gratitude. And then we would go and we would be a gospel presence and a gospel voice, not because we have to, but because that's the natural outflow of this deep and abiding love we have received. Now, for all of us who are online or in person, and you would not say that you follow after Jesus, you would not call yourself to be a Christian. As I've been talking about this tonight, from this deliverance from darkness to um, the kingdom of the sun, maybe this inheritance of the gospel, um, maybe it just perked a curiosity in you. You have questions. And if that's you, I just want you to know you're in a safe place to ask them. I just want you to know that um, we're not going to try to force you to pray a prayer or to, um, to baptize you um, um, or anything like that. We're not going to do anything without, uh, with coercion. We just want to have a conversation and do life with you. 
So if that is you um, and you are here in person, we will have a couple of our prayer volunteers who will be up here on my left, your right, um, at the end of the gathering. You're welcome to have a conversation with them. If you're online, um, we'd love for you to just email us at prayer.www.thisismosaic.org and we'd love to connect with you and maybe set up a meeting between you and somebody else to grab coffee to have a further conversation about any of this. If that is you and you are finding a curiosity within you regarding Jesus or the gospel, here's what I do know. It is not a coincidence. So just know you're in a safe community. And for those of us who do follow Jesus, Here's what I want to end with as the band is coming on up. Imagine for a second if we as a community lived with this type of radical gratitude for the gospel. <laughs> Be incredible, right? So let's dream. Let's believe. Let's be captivated by the beauty that we discover in the gospel. Would you pray with me? Father, tonight we come to you knowing that we um, do not have it all together. And Lord, by your grace, I pray that we would be coming to you each with our doubts, our fears, our frustrations, our disappointments. Maybe it's even our disappointments in you. But God, we know that you're a God big enough to take it. So Lord, take it. Take it. Take it. Take the resentment in our hearts. Lord, help us to confess that to you. Take take the difficulties, the struggles that we have been having. Take the selfishness, the bitterness. Take all of it, Lord. That, That belongs in the domain of darkness. We don't want it. We know that we will continue to struggle on this earth because that's a part of the planet we live in. But Lord, we want more of you. So Lord, give us more of you. Father, I pray that right now through the power of your spirit that you would be prompting our hearts in this space tonight, both online and in person, to repent, to come back home, to remember that we have already been brought back home and one day we will be brought home in full. Remind us, Lord, of the beauty of the gospel. We need you. We need it. Thank you for our deliverance. Thank you for this transfer. Thank you for the kingdom of your beloved son. And it's in his name, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.